Good morning, Miles. Good morning. I was on mute and chatting, chatting, <laughs> just to discover not a word was coming from me. Um, heads up, I'm very caffeinated. That's good, I think. Um, <laughs> unless you're feeling anxious and uncomfortable in your body. No, I feel excited. Great. This is a great conversation to be caffeinated for. Yes. I I'm, want I'm working to... my way to caffeinated status. <laughs> oh, hi, Prince. Um, okay, so you brought up to me the other day wanting to talk about how people from marginalized communities kind of there's like an expectation that we have to be subject matter experts because we just happen to embody a certain identity in a certain space. And I was thinking about that and I was like, where does this come from? Like, do we take that on or is that put on us? And then also we have to sort of, there can be pressure to become experts in like intersectionality and movement building more broadly and then learning about other marginalized identities and how they all sort of intersect and it can become a lot. Yes. And I think this is really connected to the conversation going on nationally right now about education and we're seeing all of the bills where elected officials are pushing to punish teachers and school administrators for teaching about LGBTQ topics in school systems and the movement to ban various books. <laughs> and I think that's worth bringing up first because that's what's created the pressure and the need for people to then step out in other spaces and do that work of education that we are not receiving in traditional systems because of the active will of people in power. Mm-hmm. So where to dive in, Miles? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think a good place, our natural place to start uh, is... Um, maybe the the origin, you know, of of these sorts of things, and I think we can both just speak anecdotally. We don't have to be the expert on how the phenomena of being forced to become the expert became a thing. Um, so I I guess I want to start by saying that um, I think I want to believe at least I want to believe that this idea. Uh, that a person with a set of lived experiences um, is, by fact of those lived experiences, an expert, a, um, a good thing within of itself uh, to imagine that based on uh, the life somebody has lived, that they have something very important to say. Um, about themselves, about communities that they're a part of, uh, that they are 
an insider and that inside knowledge um, is valuable. I think that is a good thing. Um, <laughs> I think the problem is that has not always been true and at least in communities I've been a part of, there has often even been this, um, this assumption that if you are directly impacted by a teaching or by a belief, then somehow you are uniquely unqualified uh, to be able to have an opinion about it. Uh, so you're I too guess, biased. Yes, and then exactly. your flesh might influence your. Yes. 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 Um, so, for example, if you are uh, a gay person, you are therefore not allowed to speak to what the Bible may or may not say about gay people because. Um, yeah, exactly what you named. You're, you're too close to the subject matter. You're too easily influenced. You are personally affected, and therefore <laughs> uh, your interpretation, your opinion, your perspective um, is, is not seen as um, credible. Whereas if you're an outsider, if you are quote-unquote unaffected by the issue, somehow that renders you... Uh, more authoritative or at least objective opinion about something. And that's trash. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's, one, there are no objective opinions, but two, um, yeah, that I believe correcting that historical tendency is, is important and is, is valuable and something we should be doing. So, um, wanted to say that up front. Um, but what ends up happening is an overcorrection. Mm. So then we go from not valuing lived experience at all um, into a place where we are super humanizing lived experience. And I think a part of that tendency is to expect or assume that everyone with that affinity or set of affinities knows all the nuances and uh, wants to be teaching about that particular experience. And that is also, <laughs> I, I think, not the solution to this problem. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, you mentioned kind of up top here that one of the ways this shakes out is that, let's say, you are a, a LGBTQ person. And so anytime something LGBTQ or LGBTQ adjacent comes up, your friends, your family, people at your workplace are saying, hey, tell me <laughs> what I should think about this. Or mm -hmm. what do you think about this? Um, I... I'm curious for you if this is something you've seen to be true throughout your life, if it at any given point or time intensified, and how you've related to that happening in any, any given situation. Yes, overwhelmingly. <laughs> that has happened. Um, I think that we should make a distinction between... Like, so I've, I also wondered why did that happen? And I think that there is some responsibility on some people for 
stepping out and starting to talk about these things in a way that does then invite more questions, right? And I I started like blogging in the early days when I didn't really, I wasn't very self-reflective about what that meant. But I would wade into conversations about, let's say things like debates about the origin of same-sex attractions. And, you know, having like, I would read some articles about nature versus nurture and then write a blog post about it. And it's like, I'm not an expert. I was just trying to figure it out for myself and then reflecting on that publicly. Mm-hmm. And over time, I started sort of saying to people, hey, I'm not, I am out here trying to find my way. And I am sort of, my life is it and like illustration of a sort of broader thing going on culturally that is worth paying attention to and I'm putting it out there for you but not with any authority beyond just one window into this world and so I you know I think like for instance it would So I want to step back and say the education piece of this. Um, I grew up in Texas and I was in a predominantly, I mean, overwhelmingly white high school. And I was homeschooled until high school where I did not learn any like real history. I didn't learn anything about the civil rights movement, what I learned about Martin Luther King Jr. was that he was a womanizer, uh, which honestly, (laughs) yeah, that was it. (laughs) Uh, Which like is actually debatable, uh, but also like it's fine. It's, I mean, it's so, it's just the most beside the point. I can't even think of anything less relevant to tell me about MLK. Uh, But it was like character slander, right? Of various positive black leaders and I you know if you if you're in the south um and you like the the confederacy is alive and well and there's still a lot of very positive narratives about uh what was going on there so that was sort of the history I learned and there has been a real benefit in being able to turn to the internet and people who started talking about racial justice and talking about their experiences. You know, I learned about police brutality from people posting about it online. And I know there's a lot of debate that goes on about videos and things like that. And at the same time, I had no other way of accessing that information and finding out that was something that was going on in my communities um, unless people stepped out and mm-hmm. and told that. And then I think at a certain point, um, it was incumbent on me to say, okay, I need to not reach out to this person and DM them to ask them to break down all that's going on in this situation. What I can do is Google and find books where people have um, chosen to sort of take this on for maybe like a historical lens or they've done a lot of research and, you know, Michelle Alexander's 
the new Jim Crow, or mm-hmm. there's all kinds of books out there that I can read where I'm not then putting that pressure on an individual who's just sort of putting their life out there, maybe out of a desire to do some educating, but also maybe out of a place of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And so I say a lot to say, it can be a fine line, and the internet has democratized education in a way that can make that a little bit complicated. And I think activists and online writers fall somewhere in between. But I ultimately want to talk about what those trying to learn can do to create healthier dynamics where people feel less of a burden for putting Mm -hmm. their experiences out there. And they can just do that as a gift Mm -hmm. and do that as a window without it being, without that pressure you're talking about to be experts and understand like all of history and all of research and all of science and all of like sociology just in order to share what brings them, what hurts and what brings them hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a a very constructive way of thinking about this topic. I think that, um, you know, something that you and I discussed offline was how there are people who are educators in this world. There are people who are wired um, to be teaching and to be learning and to be um, sharing information and there are people who that is a a genuine and legitimate gift that they mm-hmm. have and that they like to share with other people. There is a way that they come alive when they are put in a position uh, where they're getting um, to to share in that way. Like that is is a very coherent identity and role that they have, whether that is in a professional sense or interpersonally i think that um in many friend groups you kind of have like a a knower of things you know somebody uh who is very easy you know to reach out to and and kind of has a a way a a solutions oriented you know type of uh personality so um yeah i i think that to the extent that somebody is positioning themselves that way um, I think that they're um, like that is a, a great place to start, mm-hmm. you know, for people who are wanting to learn, wanting to gain more knowledge about a topic. Look for people who are te- like actively teaching about that topic, act like mm-hmm. self-identify as a coach, you know, as a consultant, as a person who is a knower of that thing. Um, I, I think you mentioned Google, um, <laughs> but, but this is sort of, you know, uh, an addendum to that is, is reach out to people who self, have self-selected mm-hmm. into teaching, um, wh- whatever, you know, that looks like. So, um, that's a tip. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the other thing I wanted to mention here too, is that, um, and I'm curious to hear your experience about this because I think you are a person who does have, you know, a public way of discussing these topics. And I know you express some reticence 
about wading into waters, you know, that <laughs> were not necessarily a part of your training or, you know, professional education background in the past. Um, and, and yet, I would say uh, you are a kind of teacher. I, and I think people would say that also about me. And I don't know if you've ever really thought about yourself that way or if you, like me, have become a type of teacher out of a survival adaptation. Mm. And, and what I mean by that um, is, well, my partner and I call this my TED Talk tendencies. <laughs> um, and it's that <laughs> I've learned very early um, that there were a lot of reasons uh, why people would want to bully me or reject me or would um, create an occasion for exclusion. And my way around that um, was um, to be funny, to be talented, and to be helpful. And one of the ways I learned that people found me to be helpful was if um, I became like a, like I said earlier, a knower of things. And so as a result, I would come to a topic, especially a topic that pertained to identity um, in myself, and I would think all the way through it, around it, backwards, forwards, be able to offer, you know, a three-point presentation with a thesis and be able to kind of wrap up, you know, that <laughs> informal presentation with a specific, you know, set of asks or a specific um, way to advance the conversation in a way where everybody walks away from that little chat, um, feeling like they learned something, feeling like their fears or anxieties had been um, deep, like calmed, you know, or, or mitigated. And I was not very conscious of the fact that I was doing that mm -hmm. un until later in life, you know, and even more recently. Um, if I have to share something about myself that I perceive um, as different, as um, disruptive, or even just new, some, the novelty of like whatever information or insight or um, you know, I'm sharing about myself, then I tend to give a, a TED talk about it. In order mm -hmm. to share you do. It. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you definitely do. <laughs> it's so part I, of your charm. I, yeah, but like, am, so am I, are, do you have this education orientation because you kind of think of yourself as a teacher or like, do you talk about things the way that you talk about them and approach them the way that you approach them? Because you had to. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is survival adaptations. I also think like our experiences make us who we are in many ways too. So, um, like, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing mm -hmm. because part of the reason, you know, when we talk about queer people as a diverse community, 
It could be that we were born fundamentally different, or it could just be that we were as a result of our experience as sort of like outsiders in society, we were, we adapted in ways that now make us quite different than the, the straights out there. And I think that's actually beautiful and really valuable. And some of the things like the real gifts of our community are the result of adaptations like chosen family. It is because we were rejected by our many of our family of origins and many of the communities we came from. And so that was like a survival strategy to create these families of our own. And also it's beautiful. So I, I think that like we should be self-aware and self-reflective about are our survival strategies helpful or are they harmful and getting in the way. But if they're, if the end result is positive and it leads to our flourishing and the flourishing of other people, then I think that we should just be grateful for the ways that we ultimately were formed, whether it was in the fire or in freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, yeah, I think, um, I am just always holding that in mind when I am, seeking information about a topic I don't know about or I'd like to learn more about is I think about the ways that, um, you know, I, I come to these topics and share them with other people can feel extractive. You know, it, mm-hmm. it can feel um, one-sided, you know, like we are ra- lacking reciprocity, we're lacking definitely in our relationship and so that's the other thing that um i think i caution people around when they're trying to explore you know different ways to learn something you know and to practice allyship you know to practice solidarity i think that's one of the reasons that a lot of people have these questions in the first place is because they want to show up you know for Mm. for communities that they may not be a part of they want to show up for their friends and their family and so learning, you know, is a part of that. And I, I think I see in every call to action, um, something to the effect of like, become comfortable discussing this topic. Um, Mm -hmm. like that is a very common, um, ask within sort of, uh, allyship, you know, culture and ecosystem. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, as people are learning, I do think that, uh, one of the questions you should ask yourself is like, <laughs> am I in a relationship with this person, you know, that I, I'm seeking this information from? And, and what is the quality of that relationship? Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, like, are there ways that just by me asking this question, like I, I could possibly be taxing, you know, mm-hmm. this person. Um, and yeah, I, it is interesting, though, because, again, I do have friends who are very sensitive, you know, to uh, the possibility that that could be happening to me. And so sometimes people ask me questions. Who are my friends? I'm, I'm in relationships of equity and mutuality with who then still, like, apologize to me for asking me a question. And I'm just like, hey, 
do you know we're friends? Like, mm-hmm. we, I ask you questions about, you know, related to the work that you do or experiences you've had in life as well. And as long as this is like a mutual exchange, you know, and this is not the only thing you and I are ever talking about, then I think we're okay. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, I think what you're talking about is sort of the, we all talk about the pastor who would like to take you to coffee to pick your brain. Yes. I think every person who has grown up in evangelical spaces or something like that, that is came out as not straight or cis um, at some point we started getting that response and it felt, it often felt like it wasn't a sincere desire for relationship. And to your point, extractive, it felt a little lazy because <laughs> there are a lot of ways to learn about these topics. And there are people who have put themselves out there and you can go read what they've put out there. And that's what they have to say. Mm-hmm. They don't owe you more of their time. They already took the time to put that out there. And if someone hasn't done that, then it's because they don't want to share about these things. Mm -hmm. And it's just, um, yeah, I think that's what I, I hear you saying that's what you're cautioning people against. And that goes really like expands. That's one example, but I think that you could probably take most people from various backgrounds and, apply that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the other sort of, you know, tip I have for people in seeking information is to figure out what their learning style is. Mm. Um, it, it's so easy to overlook how valuable that can be. And I think for most people, um, relationship does matter a lot in, in terms of being able to really, um, you know, unlearn something or, Mm -hmm. or to learn something new. And, and so I don't ever want somebody to be in a position where they imagine that they can't ask people in their life, Mm -hmm. um, questions, you know, about any topic they're trying to learn about, because I do think that interpersonally, um, oppression and marginalization does play out and one of the ways through that is to be able to engage it directly and think about how these sort of like structural systems do do show up um, in our friendships and how we communicate with each other and you can't do that unless you're asking about Mm -hmm. it and um, you're checking in and really determining, you know, what your friend or your loved one needs or wants or desires uh, when you are discussing, you know, these kinds of topics. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm thinking right now of a former friendship I had with somebody who very regularly wanted to be talking about um, the Bible and gender and sexuality. They wanted to be talking about Um, theology. They wanted to be talking about, you know, how I came to believe what I believe about these topics. And we probably had four or five uh, really extensive and comprehensive conversations. And I gave, you know, 
the uh, TED presentations she was asking me to give her. And eventually we kind of got to the point where I was like, hey, like we've had this conversation several times through and they're always pretty long. (laughs) And I am so grateful that you want to learn these things. And I also need you to read a book. (laughs) Um, I, I need you to be able to come to these conversations having really um, done some other work out, outside of the conversations. Uh, and, and she said she couldn't do that. And I said, well, what about listening to a podcast? And she said, no. <laughs> and I said, what about watching a video? <laughs> and she said, no. <laughs> And I said, what about talking to someone else? And she said, I just don't think that that's going to be possible. You're the person. You're the, like, I want to be the source. And then you recommended therapy? Well, she was already in therapy. And so I said, okay, well, um, we've reached an impasse because if you cannot supplement the learning that you are doing inside the context of this friendship, about these topics, I cannot be your friend. And she said, okay. And we're not friends anymore. Mm. Mm. And so I do, like, I don't really know what exactly was going on for her in that situation, but I do think that everybody learns different. Mm -hmm. I don't think there is a problem in hoping that your relationships are a source of Mm. learning for you but Mm -hmm. i do think that one must supplement the learning Mm. they are doing inside of friendship with other resources and other materials and other thinking and other conversations so that you are not um looking to one person one relationship or even a couple relationships as the way that your mind you know comes to be changed or transformed you know around a certain topic Mm. yeah that's a word uh, thank you for that. I I don't know where I want to go with this, but I want to briefly touch on the millions of bills and conversations right now about keeping LGBTQ topics out of schools. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting because like I didn't know. So when you're young, the education you receive about the world is the whole world to you. Mm-hmm. You don't know that there are these deliberate decisions being made to omit wide swaths of human experiences and perspectives and stories. So like, for instance, the story of the United States is an example that I think we all probably, even if you didn't grow up in Texas, heard a pretty unified story of discovery. <laughs> and it wasn't until we were older that we started learning more of a history of colonization. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is an interesting time where we're seeing how that came to be, the decisions that are being made. We know the impact of that. And I'm wondering, you know, things are so – now we have the internet – and we're seeing deliberate choices trying to be made in a battle. What do we make of this? What do we 
do, how do we think about the ways that these forces have been, are shaping young minds, are shaping the whole world for young minds for a time? And what can we do alongside this to offer more to mm-hmm. youth? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm coming at this as a person who grew up in Florida, mm-hmm. which is embroiled <laughs> in uh, this topic right now, not just around LGBTQ topics and the quote unquote, don't say gay um, bill, but uh, critical race theory, right, is, is mm-hmm. under attack in Florida. As, and I lived in Georgia for a while, too. And this is also a state um, that is dealing with similar bills. Um, in the last year, over 100 bills have been proposed Yes, around keeping CRT out of education. Yes, which on some days I'm just like, LOL, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what are you talking about? And on that same LOL hand, I think to myself, if anything, you are in incentivizing a much more comprehensive education because critical race theory was not something that I was handed, presented, or taught in any way, shape, or form. And that wasn't even deliberate. That was just the consequence of, like, lazy, latent racism. Mm-hmm. was to keep that sort of discourse from me, not because people intentionally were keeping it from me, but because like they only had um, dominant narratives uh, ab- about race and about the history of the United States and that sort of thing. And so just by virtue of saying, let's outlaw critical race theory, they're introducing me mm-hmm. and people <laughs> to critical race theory. Like mm-hmm. for the first time, that is a phrase that is on the tip of everybody's tongue because mm-hmm. it's coming under fire. And mm-hmm. oftentimes, when you are presented an idea that you don't know about, a phrase that's unfamiliar to you, you look it up or you mm-hmm. ask people what it means. And then when you learn what it means, even if you learn incorrect information about what it means, it, it catalyzes you know, a, mm. a continued learning. And so th- this happened to me with feminism, for example, right? (laughs) Like I was never introduced to feminism. That word was not really colloquially accessible to me where I was growing up, when I was growing up. And if it was used, it was certainly presented as a pejorative, right? Mm -hmm. Like feminist uh, was something that I think was conflated with... um, like radical, leftist, violent, uh, angry, angry. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, yeah, like I had none of that. And yet when I was in college and feminism was being directly attacked, I was like, oh, what is this? Mm-hmm. Let me learn about it. Let me understand it. Let me like see how I actually orient myself to it. And, well, spoiler, I was sort of radicalized through that process, right? Like I was introduced to an idea by being told how bad it was, Mm -hmm. by being told what a problem it was, by being um, given 
strategies to combat it. And mm-hmm. so, on, yeah, on my LOL hand about these bills and this legislation, I think like, okay, well, inadvertently, you are actually giving people um, language to, to start a research process. You are giving people um, somewhere, you know, to look somewhere, to, you're giving them access to a different set of ideas than what mainstream culture is, despite what they may think, still presenting us um, mm-hmm. and, st- and still keeping from us. So that's one thing I think about it. The other thing... That was a real silver lining response. <laughs> yeah. I mean... <laughs> but you're I, right. Yeah. And we're both people of the silver lining, so yes. that's to be expected here. Yes. The other side of that is, uh, of course, like why this is dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what we can do as a result like of the danger that comes from it. And I think, um, yeah, people um, are looking at this as a way to deliberately erase um, different communities and different sets of experiences, um, not just in public school, but in society more broadly, right? So these bills, even if they only target what happens in public education system, um, the kind of spirit behind the bills is more, far more reaching than Mm -hmm. that. And yeah, you get parents, grandparents, family members, community members, church leaders who become afraid Mm -hmm. um, of these topics. And when they're afraid, they seek to conceal them. They seek to hide them. They seek to keep them, um, this kind of information from being able to be shared um, with anybody. um, But especially young people and that sends this message that this these kinds of topics are bad they're Mm -hmm. dirty they are taboo you should not be discussing them you should feel shame um when they come up you should have a a physical and negative reaction Mm -hmm. to them and (laughs) yeah i (laughs) I had a friend very recently tell me that when she was a child, you know, she remembered the first time she saw two women kiss and it was in a Christina Aguilera music video. And she said that she threw up (gasps) and I, 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 I'm sorry. Yes. I also laughed. I laughed and, and I said, wow. I was like, did you know you were such a homophobic child? And she also laughed and was like, oh, I guess I didn't think about that as homophobia. Uh. And I was like, yes, your body like, was socialized in such a way that when you saw something that you connected to same-sex sexuality or homosexuality or gayness, you had a like, visceral negative reaction that is a trauma response. Like, that is what that is. Mm. And, like, I would say that that is trauma that is rooted in fear. You were taught to be afraid of mm-hmm. what you saw, and that is why you did that. And, um, and I think that that's the sort of thing that happens to kids. Like, when they are kind of hearing vaguely that they're not allowed to learn about these things in school is like, okay, like, it's bad. It's mm-hmm. bad, it's dirty, I should be afraid of, 
it. It's going to hurt me. Like the reason my teachers aren't allowed to talk about this is because um, it's so dangerous Mm -hmm. to to my learning and to my development. And so that's like that's that's what we're up against here. That's the message that is being sent. And so, um, yeah, I I think I don't know. Like there there are a few different ways that we can respond, but I'm curious how, like what you're thinking about this moment. I mean, a lot of what you just said, and I, we both know that it's bad translates to I am bad. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I, yeah, it, it translates to a deep sense of shame that took away a couple decades of my still rather young life. And, has act, taken actual lives. And so mm. it's why we do what we do, uh, whether it was a survival tactic or natural gifting, right? To come back to this full circle here, it's um, we're doing this because we don't want young people to think they're bad and we want right. them to know they're really beautiful. Um. I have been thinking a lot about how, to your point, it's like, so the problem isn't these bills or the problem is anti-LGBTQ animus Mm -hmm. and racism. And as long as there are these beliefs that queer people are disgusting or that white people are inherently more beautiful and better than everyone else. Like as long as those beliefs are out there, they're going to keep coming up over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, Last night I had, I was on the way home from work. It was like, I don't know, 1145 PM on the train in Brooklyn. And I had an extremely homophobic, transphobic, queerphobic experience and there, it was like a man next to me speaking very quietly to just me about all of these very, very like, uh, like how disgusted he was by queer people oh, and God. how like they needed to keep, they needed to keep, I look very visibly gay, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they needed to keep it in the closet and all this stuff. And then, and I kept just kind of like trying to ignore him and just get on my phone and this and that. And our time ended with him telling me a story uh, about him ending up in jail for assaulting somebody related to um, like kids in restrooms, uh, his daughter's, his daughter's like restroom uh, at school. And so I, luckily my train stopped. If, if it hadn't been my stop, I would have gotten off and gone into a different car And I was walking home after I got off and thinking, like, just like, oh, my God, like, this was, it felt, like, violent, even though it wasn't, he wasn't personally, like, threatening me. It was just, like, I obviously did not feel safe in that environment. And um, I was like, wow, it's just wild that this 
ha- is happening like in 2022 in New York, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I was just like, of course it's happening in 2022 in New York. Like this is always been happening. This is mm-hmm. like, this is just, this is the world we're in. We live in a world that is hostile in many ways toward queer people. And we've, we know that and we don't just escape it because we move or because we see uh, like an occasional gay Disney character. Mm. Like, um, and so I say that to say like, it's sometimes I think we can be surprised when we, re-encounter these things or um, because we have such supportive circles. I say we, you and I now have very supportive circles. So we don't encounter that as often, I think, as we did growing up when it was just the air that everybody breathed around us. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, yeah, so the, the, the bills, those kinds of encounters are not, it's, per the huge, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why we are doing this work, whether it is healthy for us all the time is our work to do. And mm-hmm. we need to be self-reflective and in conversations with our community and hopefully in therapy and things like that to figure out how you know what's healthy for us and how to thrive and it shouldn't be something that everybody has to do we all deserve to take steps back and just because we you know embody a certain identity doesn't mean that we have to do that work but i think we many of us choose to do it because we want to live in a world that's safer and mm-hmm. we want to live in a world especially where young people who are still being formed who don't have the awesome communities we have now um stick around and know that there is love out there for them. Right. Yeah. The uh, As you were talking, I was thinking that a part of the big issue with the LGBTQ, like the attack on LGBTQ education, um, is that what is like LGBTQ topics is being conflated with sex education. And that within a, of itself would not be a problem. But the problem is that most of the folks who are pushing for this legislation also have never had sex education. And so (laughs) when they think of sex education, to, you know, be crass, all they're thinking about is what they learned, if they learned anything at all about penetrative sex. Mm -hmm. Like that is the totality of sex education maybe in anatomy and physiology they also learned more about the reproductive system but again that is the totality of sex education and so when they think lgbtq they just think sex mm-hmm. and they think spe- like specific sex acts sex behaviors they are not thinking about um emotional like social emotional learning around gender and sexuality. They're Mm. not thinking about consent. They're not thinking about um, communication strategies. They're not thinking about all of the ways that you check in with yourself, you check in with other people, you think about accountability, you think about, um, you know, what it means like to 
uh, participate in friendship versus romance with someone. These are all things that come through comprehensive sexual health and education. Um, and in fact, I would say it's actually the main like body of work within comprehensive sex ed is to be able to really pull out the ways that um, uh, power, you know, and privilege play out in a uh, in any given relational context and to help make plain for people that there's so much more um, going on here, you know, than just like sex, sexual acts, sexual behaviors. And so what they're taking away is not, like nobody's out here trying to teach kindergartners about sex in this type of way. Like mm-hmm. they're exclusively trying to show kids like, oh, like there's there's so many different ways to show up in the world and every way of showing up in the world is worthy of being Mm. safe, being healthy, being well. And if anything, we want to teach kids um, different ways of being able to protect themselves and to be able to identify an unsafe versus a safe situation Mm -hmm. and um, teach them self-advocacy and be able to teach them um, the importance and the power of their no. Mm-hmm. And and that's what's being taken away from them through this is, yeah. is those kinds of things. So um, where did yeah. you get, where did you learn about sex education? Uh, so I feel like I, I still haven't really gotten a, any sort of comprehensive sex education, yes. to be honest. TBH. Uh, the uh, Unitarian Universalist uh, tradition produced a curriculum many years ago. <laughs> called Our Whole Lives, Mm -hmm. and this is a phenomenal, comprehensive sex, uh, sexual health and education guide, and it has been adapted um, by the uh, UCC denomination in partnership with the UUs, and so the Mm. UCC also has um, a distinctively Christian um, expression of Our Whole Lives, and it it is my favorite form wow. of like sexual health and education, especially for faith-based communities that I have engaged. Um, Planned Parenthood also does um, really comprehensive, good sexual health uh, and education trainings. Uh, I had I basically had to seek it out on my own, um, and this was something I did immediately after. Um, being able to become affirming and leaving um, all of the evangelical contexts I had been in in South Carolina. Uh, when I was working for the Equality House, um, I had a lot of opportunities uh, to be doing this learning because I did not have a lot of friends. Oh. <laughs> At first, I made mm-hmm. friends. I made wonderful friends. Um, but um, yeah, you like all of those materials and resources are available online um and it's important like i think uh, you know you and i've talked about this in the past but um uh, one of the dangers of not having information about any of these topics is that you don't know when you are in an unsafe situation oh yeah and it lends itself to abuse and to mm-hmm. exploitation and to manipulation and to being in any number of contexts that are 
going to lead to harm. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's so important for kids. Mm -hmm. And again, these are developmentally appropriate materials. And, you know, I think the kind of working uh, mantra around when kids are ready to talk about these things, it's when they start asking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When When a child starts asking, that's when they're ready to be introduced to developmentally appropriate information mm-hmm. uh, about these topics and you don't have to lie like it it's I, I think I mean I remember my sister asking me about how to approach uh, me being transgender with my niece and I, I just gave her some <laughs> kind of like simple sentence structures you know around what it meant for me to be transgender and I said if she has any follow-up questions like I'm I'm happy answering them, you know, with you there and we can be like, you can guide that. Like I'm, I'm very comfortable and happy to talk about this with children in a way that, you know, is thoughtful and considerate of, of where they are developmentally, what's kind of going on for them um, as far as form norming and forming, you know, categories and, you know, uh, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's this information, this kind of teaching, it is out there, um, and it's just a matter of um, looking for it. I, I think, mm-hmm. and that's sort of the solve here, is even if schools outlaw you know, these materials and these resources, then it's going to be up to us, unfortunately, um, in the name of harm reduction, to find other ways um, mm-hmm. to share this information and, and make it accessible to people. Wow. That's great. I'm going to look into this, these resources. Yeah. Um, since I still don't have an education. <laughs> it's and never too late. It's never too late. Um, and we will continue the conversation in the coming weeks. But Miles, I appreciate you and I appreciate, I appreciate who and how you are, whether it was because of survival adaptations or nature. Yeah, what's that um, verse about the eunuchs and Matthew? Some were born this way, some were made this way, and <laughs> some have chosen it. <laughs> well, however you got here, you are here, and I think you're really awesome. Thank you. I, I think the same of you as well. All right. See you soon. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for joining. Bye.